0: You're listening to Code Switch. I'm Shereen Marisol Maragi. Jean's away on vacation, but still kind of here. And to see what I mean, keep listening.
1: Well, I've always felt different. Uh, I go to the store, the movies, and just be thinking
2: to myself, like, why am I not getting the respect I deserve? Mm-hmm. And then it just hit me. I'm white. Issa, where have you been,
1: huh? What? Why are you being all loud? Are you not coming home? I we are not about to be the black couple fighting in writing. You see the social network? The Indian guy is a white guy. They use brown face makeup. No, no,
0: I read that he's 116th Indian.
1: all 116th something. I'm probably
3: 116th black. You think they're gonna let me play Blade?
0: Atlanta, insecure, master of none, Jane the Virgin, fresh off the boat. And do I have to mention producer Shonda Rhimes' total TV takeover? I guess they do. Anyway, we're seeing a renaissance of shows starring, featuring, written, or produced by people of color. And Kenya Barris is a big part of that renaissance. He's the creator and executive producer of ABC's hit comedy, Blackish. Before Gene went on vacation, the two sat down to talk about the show and the TV landscape.
1: I'm curious as to how you navigate the jokes on the show that are, as you would call them, deep cuts for black Mm -hmm. folks, right? Um, With an audience that is 75% white. And I'm curious about how you, in the writer's room, how y'all decide. We don't. We just do it.
0: And for those of you who need an explanatory comma, Blackish is a comedy about an upper-middle-class black family living in the suburbs of Los Angeles. We're lucky.
2: We've got a great house, four great kids, and my pops. It's a far cry from where it all began.
0: The dad, Dre, grew up poor, and the show's loosely based on Kenya Barris' life.
2: I guess for a kid from the hood, I'm living the American dream. The only problem is, whatever American had this dream probably wasn't where I'm from. And if he was, he should have mentioned the part about how when brothers start getting a little money, stuff starts getting a little weird. Like in my neighborhood, sometimes I feel like a bit of an oddity.
3: And if you look to your left... You'll see the mythical and majestic black family out of their natural habitat and yet still thriving. Go ahead and wave. They'll wave right back.
0: Kenya's doing more than blackish these days. He's working on a pilot with actress Toni Collette called Unit Zero.
4: It's kind of an action comedy in the realm of sort of spy meets... Alias.
0: Kenya's got another pilot, a comedy with Courtney B. Vance and Felicity Huffman. It's called Libby and Malcolm. They're political pundits, they're married. One's black, one's white, one's left, one's right. And if that wasn't enough, Barris also has a Blackish spinoff in the works with 17 year old Yara Shahidi that he hopes is going to become a full fledged show. Shahidi plays Zoe, the oldest daughter on Blackish, and I talk to her about this new opportunity and lots of other fun things.
3: I think our set is cool because it is one of those places where, especially for my character, they want to hear from us or just about how my generation operates, because I think for me in particular, I am the embodiment of Generation Z, and everything from my hair to
0: the clothes that I wear, they're all really intentional. That's after the break, but first, let's go to Gene in Kenya.
1: Hey. Hey, Kenya. Thank you so much for doing
4: this. Absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Can you talk about the way the politics of television has changed to make a show like black possible? I mean, you said once that The Cosby Show was a show about a family that happened to be Black. But mm-hmm. Blackish is about a black family.
4: Cosby absolutely opened the door for it in a big way. And I, when I said it happened to be black, I, I want to be very clear. Like, that was arguably my favorite show ever. Mm-hmm. It introduced black people as a piece of Americana in a different way, you know, than we had ever been seen before. It was not a pejorative, but I do think Obama made this show possible for Blackish. How so? Because I think that all of a sudden, the thing that became sort of not PC to talk about was a thing we should have been talking about more than ever. You know, it was like we have a black president, but I felt we were talking about race publicly less than ever. We're paying the cost of eight years of having a black president. We're seeing the ugly stench of that now. One of the things I like doing on the show is really sort of talking about those things that make us uncomfortable. But whether you agree or not, at least maybe they'll start a conversation.
1: So in the past, you've said that class is more important than race or culture. And I'm curious, on the show, do you make a point of separating, you know, these two ideas out from each other?
4: We do, but I, I think that it it kind of separates itself, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in the conceit of the show is I don't think there's any doubt that, you know, Andre... Johnson is raising a black family right but I think the thing that he struggles with is the class differentiation that he sort of deals with from what black was to what black is to what his kids are to what he was as a kid to the world that you know he's living in now compared to the world he grew up in and so those things run I think closer to class distinctions and race distinctions
1: I remember reading in Emily Nussbaum's profile of you uh, that there was actually some disagreement on the set about whether or not the Johnson should have a nanny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? About that about the
4: tensions there? It just was, you know, there was the notion of how people will perceive the family if they have a nanny. Mm-hmm. And it was so interesting to me because it felt like, you know, I can't use my own life, but I do use my own life. Because I'm like, I have nannies. I have six kids. And I was like, right. there's no way. You know, I was like, we were almost creating in my mind a false narrative we're saying that Rainbow is a working, full time working anesthesiologist mm-hmm. and that she has a full time working advertising executive husband. And they have four school aged children who all have activities and a significantly good sized home that seems to be pretty clean pretty often. <laughs> and who's doing all this work? You know, my mom worked, mm-hmm. you know, two, three jobs mm-hmm. and, you know, raised five kids and we never had a nanny. So I think that sometime you. I understand, you know, some of the pushback. But at the same time, I feel like that's that's a narrative for this family that didn't feel true to me. And I felt like it would go against what the show's conceit is really about, being as honest to what this family is, you know, for the tableau that we're trying to present.
1: So one of the things in the show that Dre is wrestling with is this transition from a dude who grew up one way to a someone who has means suddenly, right? And I'm curious as, I mean, that's been the trage- trajectory for a lot of us. Um, I, was, I grew up poor and now I'm not and you never stop feeling poor in a lot of ways right um, <laughs> you always, like, it's always like this idea that I might be homeless you know what I mean there's there's a couple things that go wrong I might be homeless and I'm curious how that plays <laughs> out in your in your own life
4: I'm still like you it's like they say you're always that scared little boy or scared little girl or whatever you know you, you kind of those moments uh, my dad came up you know not quite depression but he came up in a time when it was you know he was really broke and he has his own way of dealing with it I'll go to my dad's house and his cabinets are just packed with food. Yep. And I'm like, Daddy, you can't possibly eat all this. <laughs> and so there's a mentality that goes along when you don't have, that you're mm-hmm. always sort of either saving in a different kind of way because you're scared of not having, or, or spending. you're spending. I mean, it's 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 twofold. Right. It's a duality it goes to, or you're spending because you want to, Have evidence that you do have it for others and for yourself.
1: This is Dre in the the sneakers in the face. One hundred percent. Yeah.
0: We agreed we were going to make some serious changes,
2: and we will. Let me just explain. All right, my my, my shoes and my clothes—they are a part of me. I can't compromise on those, Dre. Look, look, look! look. I have a plan to offset my spending. Okay. All right. I'm going to start mowing our own lawn big dre got
0: that same way big dre handled our money
2: what does that mean it wasn't I coded,
4: i'm a grown man and i've been threatened by my wife if she sees another box of shoes coming <laughs> but there is just something to having a crispy pair of sneakers on mm-hmm. At the same time i sort of embrace who i am but i think that's one of the fears in being black you know what i'm saying or being from a you know, sort of niche group is that your hunger is what drives you. And that's the thing I worry about with my kids is that I've given them a life that they don't necessarily have that hunger.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: And I wonder if it will take away from, you know, their drive. I'm
1: thinking about this trajectory of black shows. Obviously, there was an explosion of black shows on networks like Fox and the WB in the 90s. You were writing for Soul Food between 2000 and 2004. And there are no black family dramas on TV anywhere, right? Um suddenly Mm -hmm. there's an explosion with Shonda you have Donald Glover you have Ava DuVernay um there are far more black showrunners in the world does that give you more room to operate
4: I think so I think that at the time Felicia Henderson who created Soul Food was special in that one she just is one of the most amazing writers ever but two she wanted to tell that story you know and she told it in a way that it resonated you know Shonda who's been amazing and is one of my idols um you know, I think that she has definitely ushered in as, as the queen and godmother of what's going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something in the water right now, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm so happy to just in the smallest of ways get to be a part of it with Issa and Courtney Kemp and Donald Glover and, you know, and Sorry. You know, I think this, you know, it's not just black. I think there's a, people are opening their minds up to different voices content is king and they need content and so because they need content they're having letting different voices have that content um i think the thing now is that you're seeing shows like atlanta anchor fx Mm. we are now defining our culture in a very unique way and proprietary way but it's for everyone
1: so speaking of that for everyone question I'm curious as to how you navigate the jokes on the show that are, as you would call them, deep cuts for black folks, right? Mm-hmm. Um, with an audience that is 75% white. Um, and I'm curious about how you, in the writer's room, how y'all decide.
4: We don't. We just do it. The Simpsons do it. You know, the Simpsons do it for nerds. The Simpsons do it for lampoonies. Like, they do it for themselves, and you either get it or you don't. You never don't. worry that
1: this is too specific? No. Hmm.
4: No, we had a... No, we had a rich homie Quan joke. <laughs> <laughs> we have a, a joke where, you know, we talk about, you know, black people would be the 15th largest economy in the world, and it, they, they'd be called Blackonia, and it'd be right between Spain and Mexico, and the uh, the international song would be Girlfriends by Pebbles. <laughs> you know, the honesty is what makes you really laugh. I think the the best comedy comes from character, and, like... After we got through season one, you knew who these characters were, and then you could tell jokes based around those characters, and even if sometimes they were a little bit small niche, you could see that character in particular saying that joke. Right, it's
1: with Sam National coming out of his or her mouth. Yes. Yeah. yes. How much pressure do y'all feel about responding to political events? You know, the, the Hope episode, which was the police shooting episode, the, the Lemons, which was the episode that was kind of an ode to the Obamas. Like, how do you—what makes you feel like you have to wade into those conversations?
4: Well, the only time we've ever actually, I think Lemons for me was the only time that I was like, that was ripped from the headlines.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, Hope for me was it actually was something I knew I wanted to talk about. Hope was more so about the world we live in today and having to have these conversations with your kids. Right. Um, lemons was definitely an emotional response and we did it really quick.
2: I've been lucky enough to raise four beautiful children in the world that showed them Jay-Z and Beyonce as king and queen. A black family in the White House, and a woman run and almost win the presidency of the United States. So if you ask me if I love America, the answer is yes, warts and all.
4: We're not law and order. We're not ripping things from the headlines. We start off every year and we try to say, what would this family naturally be talking about?
1: Can you talk a little bit about? The new show, The a Different World, The, the Black is a Different World. What is it called?
4: Right now, we're calling it Liberal Arts. Okay. Yara Shahidi plays Zoe. Um, is Going off to college. This is like her different world, basically? It, yes, definitely. <laughs> it is an homage to that because that show meant a lot to me. But it also is, being in college right now, kids have to deal with so many new things that we never had to. Even just being on the campus of USC where, where we film it. Mm-hmm. I was noticing the bathrooms were marked all gender. Right. So, you know, I just think it's a whole different world. So I thought there was something interesting, you know, no pun intended, in showing that in a sort of, it's kind of an upstairs, downstairs comedy between the administration and the students. It's actually about issues that millennials and Gen Z and Gen Alpha kids are going through. Gen Alpha? Is that what we call them? Gen, Gen Alpha? Yeah.
1: <laughs> is Zoe school going to be HBCU or in the show, or is it going to be?
4: Uh, no, it's going to be like a predominantly white liberal arts college, like a USC or UCLA. Gotcha. Okay.
1: So you're talking about millennials and Generation Alpha. And I'm curious, are there differences around politics, racial politics, or other politics between you and Yara, Yara Shahidi, who will be the star of the show?
4: Well, Yara is, I mean, vastly more in-depthly able to sort of articulate her own point of view in a way that I have not seen most kids be able to do. Mm -hmm. Um, She is an activist. She is you know, a a person who is committed to her own education and just knowledge about self and about things going on around her. Being of mixed heritage, of Iranian and Black heritage, she is, you know, very proud of both sides and has interesting things to talk about. What do y'all disagree on? I don't know if we disagree, but like, for instance, there's a line in the pilot where someone is introducing themselves and they're introducing themselves by their gender identification. And Yara, she literally rewrote the line. (laughs) Less than disagreeing, I think she educates me a lot on what youth culture is right now, and I really appreciate that from her.
1: Look forward to what's coming next. (laughs) All right, dude. Kenya Barris is the creator of Blackish, the hit ABC sitcom.
4: Thanks so much, man.
0: I know you want to hear from Yara after all that. Stick around.
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Ben and Jerry's, a B Corp committed to using the power of business to advance progressive social change. Since the company's earliest days, Ben and Jerry's has been about a lot more than just euphoric ice cream. Today, they believe that dialogue can bridge differences, promoting a more just and equitable future for all. Join Ben & Jerry's on a journey to better understand issues of race in America and get involved at BenJerry.com racialjustice.
0: Thanks for listening to Code Switch. There's a new way to get the news each morning. Up First is the morning news podcast from NPR. Give us 10 minutes or so and you get a sense of the stories and big ideas of the day. Politics, science, the economy, some culture, what you really need to know and why it matters. Start your day with Up First weekday mornings by 6 a.m. Eastern time on the NPR One app and wherever you listen to podcasts. And we're back with
3: Yara sawyer I am half black, half Iranian, and I am 17 years old. I play Zoe on Blackish, and my name, the literal translation, is Yara means somebody close to your heart, Sayyam means shadow, and my last name, Shahidi, means witness. My name is somebody close to your heart, shadow witness. I am a humanitarian and a future double sociology and African American studies major.
0: So we had your boss in here. Yeah, is it right to call Kenya your boss? Oh yeah, okay. he employs like half of my family. And he told us about this potential show mm-hmm. that may come after Blackish, and it's you, it's starring you, yeah, and Zoe, your character Zoe on on Blackish, and you're gonna go off to college. And one of the things he said to us uh, was that in making the pilot for this show, that you've been schooling him. On how your generation talks about race, talks about gender, (laughs) that you're just like, Kenya, no, that's not how we do things anymore. And I want a story from you about, you know, you telling him how it is.
3: Okay. Well, let me think. I think one of the funny things is, like, what I really love about this show is the fact that they are trying to address more than race politics, but really deal with the intersectionality of The many identities that us teenagers or Generation Z deals with. So gender politics, sexual Mm -hmm. politics, all of that. And I remember reading the script and there was just one line where somebody else was telling the crowd how they identify. And the funniest thing was uh, she had said, I am cisgender and my pronoun is they. And so I had immediately texted him like, "Hey, Kenya, this is going to be completely generation Z, but she has to be uh if she's cisgender, then her pronoun wouldn't be they unless she's also gender neutral or gender fluid." And he was like, "Huh? Okay, got it." And so then we just went back and forth with alternate lines until we found something where it's like, "Okay, that's correct."
0: So, I mean, are you schooling him on Blackish
3: too? I think our set is cool because it is one of those places where, especially for my character, they want to hear from us or just about how my generation operates. Because I think for me in particular, I am the embodiment of Generation Z and everything from my hair to the clothes that I wear, they're all really intentional. And it's all supposed to, I guess, encapsulate the different trends and how my generation operates. And so there are times in which I'll get a call from Kenya like, so what do you think about this? I'm like, okay, well, this is my take on it. And that's what I'm going to tell you. And then sometimes my character agrees with how
0: Yara thinks. And sometimes she's the polar opposite. I really want to ask about that. (laughs) Yes. So in the police shooting episode, Mm -hmm. your character Zoe, um, she has a monologue, and it's it's very impassioned, and she's sort of overwhelmed, Mm -hmm. and she says she's hopeless about what's going on in the world. This is my generation, and these are kids our age.
3: Point is, I care, I, I just don't know what to do.
2: Zoe, that's why it's important that we talk about it.
3: I don't wanna talk about it, what's the point? Everybody I love has been here talking about it all night, and none of you know what the answer is.
0: Honestly, I don't even know what the point is sometimes. I don't know you, but I feel like I know you from social media, and you seem to not be overwhelmed and have that hopeless feeling, and I was just wondering, were you hoping Zoe would be a little more Yara? That episode in particular, I was really happy with how it was written. Mind you, we may know what we're talking
3: about in the episode, but we don't get the script until maybe a couple days before we start shooting. Mm -hmm. And so when I was reading it, I actually had to appreciate Zoe's stance on that particular issue, just in that even as Yara, even as somebody who's like, okay, this happened, here are 10 million organizations to donate to or help organize. uh, Zoe, I think, really does capture just the general feeling of the melancholy nature of our generation, of feeling as though we don't even choose to intake all of this information, but it just happens. I remember seeing the... um, philando castillo live stream and Mm -hmm. not knowing what i was looking at of just like somebody had tweeted it and i clicked on it Mm -hmm. and just being like what oh that person is bleeding oh wow and i just remember that moment of freaking out and not knowing what to do and not knowing how to process what's happening and while yara may get to a result or resolve faster than zoe does she really did capture how a lot of my peers felt where it's like we're intaking this information At such a fast rate that it's hard to know how to process it. And if you are just now coming of age in which you are an active citizen, how are you just going to be thrown
0: into that world? Mm -hmm. Now, you've spoken publicly about feeling a little uncomfortable about being a TV star. Um, (laughs) uh, Uncomfortable because you're not sure how it's making a difference. Um, Mm -hmm. And I was just wondering if you could take us into your head and play that struggle out for us.
3: Well, I mean, I started in this industry with my mother. So my mom is a commercial actress. My Bubba is a DP, director of photography. And so I was born into a very creative family. And I started in commercials with my mother and my two brothers and print jobs and all of that. And then TV became another outlet just because I really appreciated the character development. And starting in this world as a seven-year-old, I, my first role was some a little girl who has an imaginary world. And so now, the past three years, being a series regular has really shifted how I, how I view this. I feel like my activism has only grown while I've been on TV, but it really did make me look at how my activism has taken shape. What are the things that you're most passionate about? I can tell you that pre-election, some of the main things that I really support, and I still do support fervently, were like girls in STEM Mm -hmm. and the importance of making sure that, Uh, people of color and young girls get equal opportunity in the science and technology markets because those will be the predominant jobs in the future. Recently, I feel like what I've been focusing on the most are policy changes because those have the largest impact. And I'm trying to, as somebody who cannot vote yet, figure out how to make my generation as active as possible.
0: When you were saying policy changes, I was thinking, is there anything in particular that has really... Mm been a gut punch to you um, when you're when you're thinking about what's been happening with our new administration?
3: I would have to say if I were to focus in on a couple of things, the travel ban has been one very large gut punch because I do have family in Iran. And just the portrayal of people of Muslim descent is so outrageous to witness that it's been something that has taken me quite a while to process. Fortunately, being in blue California, I do feel pretty hopeful that a lot of these states will,
0: I guess, act against it and finally get the travel ban banned. One thing that Kenya said about you was that you um, are very clear that you're both Iranian and black and Mm -hmm. that you are very self-possessed in that way. And... Um, I'm wondering, has that been a struggle for you? Is this something you've always known? You're black and Iranian? I mean, I feel like I didn't
3: come to question it until recent years because fortunately I've I've always had fantastic parents and a fantastic base in which I've been equally exposed to both cultures. I feel like coming into the world of acting as a teenager is when I realized that While I still feel that I am fully black and fully Iranian, there were moments in which I struggled with how other people identify me. Mm -hmm. And I get roles based on what people think of me visually. And so I get roles uh, that are usually titled either ambiguous or um, black, which has never been a problem. But just realizing that sometimes I see myself differently than other people see me. And so while... I look at my brothers and I look at the other people that I know that are mixed around me and I see both of their cultures, that's not always how I'm perceived.
0: You said you talked to
3: your parents about this. Mm -hmm.
0: And you said that in reference to, you know, being a teenager and, and really realizing, okay, this is how the world sees me.
3: Well, I feel like one of the first conversations about how I was being perceived actually happened freshman year of high school. And I remember somebody, one of my friends had called me whitewashed. And I was just kind of processing what that meant. And it was it was in reference to how I spoke mm-hmm. and the fact that I'm in honors classes, which seemed really odd to me because I come from a family of academics. And so... I had never really had to deal with this weird stereotype of to be educated is to be the anomaly Mm -hmm. as a black person or as a person of color. That conversation really started with, okay, so this is what happened at school today. I responded by saying, what do you mean I'm whitewashed because of how I speak? No culture owns a way of speaking. And then we really kind of delved into just how to have the confidence to respond in that kind of situation. And so because of that, I feel like it's prepared me well for the past three years as I've emerged into this place of growing up in the public eye
0: in which more than my family are watching me grow. What do you want Zoe to grapple with? In in college. And I want to talk Mm -hmm. specifically about race. Race? Since this is code switch, you know. Right. She's never really been confronted about who she is in the
3: setting that she's in. She's either with her family Mm -hmm. or she's at an all-white school in which, of course, she's black. Um, But to be in a new setting in which... You even realize that the black experience isn't monolithic. I think that's something that's going to be a culture shock to Zoe. She does live in more than the bubble of her family, but a socioeconomic bubble, too. She is from a well-off family, so she has a certain lifestyle that she's used to, which I feel like in some ways has made her exempt from having to even have certain conversations until really being in college.
0: Even though Pops and Dre and, yeah, but even, and Ruby are kind of like trying to keep it real with her. and Yeah, but one thing that she kind of comes up, she
3: bumps up against pretty immediately is just the fact that she may not be as quote-unquote down as she thinks she is. No, like, no offense to the vegan barbecue society, but I'm not really the joiner type.
1: Excuse me, Queen, would you be interested in joining the BSU? Yes,
3: yes, yeah. I am. <laughs> As hey, am I, great. King. You what is the BSU?
2: Uh, <laughs> drop signs for it, please.
3: Me? Oh, yeah. well, the BSU stands for the, of uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the Black Student Union union science dropped. I mean, come on, Miriam. This is basic stuff. I mean, how great would it be for me not to know what the Black Student Union is? Right. When you see all of these people who are talking about Baldwin and all of that, how does she contribute to that conversation? Even though you know, you know about Baldwin. Yara knows. Oh, yeah. And so (laughs) what's funny is that I mean, it's something that we've been going through the entire series. There are times where Yara may identify more with another character than her own. Mm -hmm. And that's been fun, actually, because there's no acting challenge if you're playing yourself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yara, we've been asking everyone at the end of the show, Mm -hmm. what song is giving them life right now in these times?
3: Chanel by Frank Ocean.
0: You knew it. I, I knew, knew you knew it. Cause I saw the little video with you and Tracy Ellis Ross. Um supposedly you are just like blasting that out to everyone on the show and it's not just your favorite song anymore.
3: I know, I'm I'm basically Frank Ocean's publicist. He just doesn't <laughs> know it yet.
2: My guy pretty like a girl, and he got five stories to tell. I see both sides like you know. See on both sides
3: like Of course Chanel. I go to genius.com to mm-hmm. figure out what the meaning is. And just from the first click and read of like what the first lyric meant, my mind was blown. I mean, he really just talks about the duality of his life and more than just, I guess, his sexual orientation, but about how he sees other people and the fact that he can see both sides like Chanel. And it's a pun. I really love puns. I feel like it's the only reason I listen to music is to just
0: collect puns. Yara Shahidi, thank you so much. Thank you for having
3: this me. This was so fun. This has honestly been a dream.
0: Are you kidding? I am inspired by you. Thank you. And also, if anyone could see us, we have the same hairstyle. We do. And we're both wearing glasses. We are. It must be the half Persian thing. I think um. it is. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Yeah.
3: Bye.
2: It's really See both sides like know. See on both sides like Chanel.
0: You can catch it's Yara's really spin-off you. episode tonight on ABC, and that's our show. Follow us on Twitter. We're at NPR Code Switch. Subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts can be found or streamed. Sammy Yenigan and Walter Ray Watson produced this episode. We had original music by Ramteen Arab And a shout out to the rest of the Code Switch team: my co-host Gene Demby, Leah Danella, Adrian Florido, Karen Grigsby Bates, and Kat Chow. Our editor is Juleka Lantigua Williams. I'm Shereen Marisol. Omaraji so, we're back next week peace my they
2: can't hold my seven. They